Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and today we're talking about communication. Now many of us struggle to easily express ourselves, whether that be through the written form, over email or message, but particularly when we're speaking out loud. And as the way we work has shifted, the ability to be able to clearly and confidently articulate your point of view has become even more important. And that's why I invited today's guest, Matt Abrahams, onto the show. Matt's a lecturer in organisational behaviour at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business. He teaches classes in strategic communication and effective virtual presenting. Outside of the classroom, he's a keynote speaker and consultant. He's helped countless presenters improve and hone their communication, including for Nobel Prize presentations, TED Talks and World Economic Forum presentations. I'd actually listened to Matt's podcast before, but we got in touch because of a funny coincidence. Now, this podcast has listeners from around the world, and it's always a surprise quite how many people are listening in countries that I've neither been to nor know anyone, which is always fantastic. And recently, there was a week when Future Work Life was in the top 10 chart in Finland, South Korea, alongside, on both occasions, Think Fast, Talk Smart, which is Matt's podcast. And I shared that coincidence on LinkedIn. Matt got in touch, and the rest is history. Today's product is one of those incredibly practical shows that we occasionally have, in which Matt's going to share some techniques that you can immediately use in your work. We discuss the importance of practice, reflection and feedback in improving your communication skills. We cover how to structure thoughts and messages to enhance clarity and audience engagement. And last but not least, we discuss how to balance structured communication with authenticity to effectively express your personality and points of view. I really enjoyed this conversation with Matt. I think we'll probably do it again at some point because we barely scratched the surface on this topic. So thanks to Matt again for joining me. Thanks to you for listening. If you're interested in finding out more about Matt, you can find links in the show notes. If you'd like to hear me talk more about these subjects, you can get in touch to arrange for me to speak with your team. And I'll be writing more about the themes we discuss in this week's future World Life newsletter. So make sure you subscribe to that. Right, that's enough from me. Here's my conversation with Matt. So Matt, it is a great pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for joining me. I am thrilled to be here with you, Ali, and I look forward to an engaging conversation. Great. Well, I'm going to just start off by making an admission to you because, of course, I make this show really for the listeners, but there's a bit of you know selfish self-interest in there as well. And uh, I've been keenly listening to your podcast um, for a while now. You can talk a little bit about it, I'm sure. Uh, today and also read your book and as someone who does do quite a bit of public speaking I have used it as kind of looking at it with fresh eyes I'm taking a beginner's mind uh, to it and so I may very well uh, insert some questions today which are for my benefit which of course will also be to the benefit of other people. Uh, Thank you so much and I am certainly happy to help you and your listeners Uh, I have enjoyed listening to your podcast and learning from it if I can help you in any way it would be just returning a favor. Exactly. Right. Well, that's a nice place to start. This is a very appropriate place to start. Um, it would be your name. Uh, tell me why your name has led you <laughs> in, in some strange way to the career that you're in right now. So with the last name of Abrahams, A-B, I have gone first almost my entire life. There's only been two times in my life where I have not come first in a class, in a company, in a workshop. 
And often people lazily always just go in alphabetical order. So when I began to study spontaneous speaking, speaking in the moment, answering questions, giving feedback, making small talk, these were situations that I was very familiar with just based on practice. So while speaking in the moment is challenging for all of us, myself included, I think I've had a few more reps than most people just based on my last name. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of mid-alphabet, so um, I haven't had that experience. So many of my friends used to, to thank me for going first because they could actually think through what they wanted to say by the time it was their turn. So you might have been somebody who took advantage of that uh, with your mates. Yeah. Well, environment does play a role, doesn't it? I, I remember reading that interesting research about professional sports people when the month in uh, which you're born can have a massive massive impact on whether you're likely to succeed in professional sports simply because at younger ages you tend to develop more quickly if um uh, at a certain stage of the year so let's say you're born in september as as we are and that's the school year in the uk you know you're naturally bigger than the kids born at the other end of the year in august so therefore you develop faster you you show signs of skills more quickly and then you pushed into better level of coaching. So I guess in some sense here, you are the environment's determined that you've been forced to develop some of these skills, which many of us find quite challenging, right? You know, if I have anxiety about having to speak spontaneously and, um, you know, have to quickly gather our thoughts and say something coherent, when, when did you become comfortable with um, kind of offering your opinion? Yeah, so uh, I don't know that I've ever been fully comfortable in communication, <laughs> but certainly as I grew up uh, and matured, I was actually directed by one of my high school teachers to compete in speech and debate, uh, again, primarily because I went first in his class and he needed to to send somebody quickly and I was there. Uh, So over time, I developed a comfort with speaking. I I still work very actively to become more confident in what I do when I speak. Uh, But it's something, I mean, the, the big point I always like to make is we can all get better at it. Many of us feel that you're either born with the gift of gab or you're not. Uh, it's something that's innate. And, and while some of us might have an advantage over others of us, uh, based on personality type, experience, context, we can all get better. I have seen it in the thousands of students I've taught, the, the hundreds of people I've coached. It, it is something that you can develop and hone. And quite frankly, it's critical to do. Communication is critical to our success in our personal lives and professional lives. And I encourage everybody to take the time to work on those skills. Where where do you start with people when I'm sure the natural reaction very often um, is for people to be reticent um, to speak up in this way? I mean, what's what's the starting point? Where should people begin when they're thinking about getting comfortable with uh, communicating, and whether it's spontaneously or not? Frankly, just speaking absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it is an endeavor. It is work. There are only three ways that you can get better at communication, better at anything, really. It's repetition, reflection, and feedback. You have to give yourself opportunities to practice. Think about any skill you've learned, be it athletics, music, etc. You had to practice. Second, you have to reflect. You have to think about what's working, what's not working. And finally, you need to get feedback. And that's where books, coaches, teachers, podcast hosts, videos. That's where that all comes in to help you get feedback. In terms of a content-specific piece to start with, I fundamentally believe it's about anxiety. The biggest challenge most people report having around communication is anxiety. Up to 85% of people report feeling very anxious in high-stakes communication situations. And you can define what you mean by high stakes. And so 
starting there. My first book was called Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, which was designed to help people manage anxiety. It reported on 50 different academically verified techniques to help people get better in their confidence. And not every technique works for every person. So if you ask me where to start, I think we start with anxiety. Well, for, uh, before that, you start with a desire to get better and improve. You then start by focusing on anxiety. And in my new book, in the new methodology I teach for spontaneous speaking, anxiety is the number one step there as well. We have to start there to help. Yeah, you, you talk about the power of an anxiety management plan. Probably looks different for every individual, but I guess there's some common characteristics. Absolutely. So the, the output of working on anxiety and confidence building is what I call an anxiety management plan. And I have been teaching for you know 25 years. I have asked my students, the people I coach, to all do this. I have one. I'll share it in a moment. An anxiety management plan is nothing more than a set of three to five techniques that you have developed and worked on over time that work for you to feel more comfortable and confident. When you go to manage anxiety, you fundamentally have to manage two things, symptoms and sources. Symptoms are how we feel, what happens to us in our bodies, in our minds. So our heart might race, we might get jumbled thoughts. So we can come up with techniques that manage the symptoms. And then we have to manage the sources, things that initiate and exacerbate our anxiety. So it might be the goal we have makes us really nervous. It might be the fact that the room is large with many people in it. That can make us nervous. So we come up with techniques that address each of those. And through iteration and testing, you hone in on the ones that work for you. And as you develop in your skills and your confidence, you might want to change these out. Uh, my students can, and I continue to use techniques that we've been using for, for decades. I had a student a month or so ago write me that uh, he, when his brother got married, he gave a toast at the wedding and he used his anxiety management plan that, that he created in my class five years ago. So these, these can be long lasting. I'll give you an example of an anxiety management plan. This is what I do when I get nervous, and I still do get nervous. I do three things. First, mentally, I remind myself that I am in service of my audience. I have value to bring. Often when I am asked to communicate, it's because people have invited me to do so. And I remind myself that they see value in what I have to say. And that helps me focus on them and not on the anxiety I feel. Second, I am somebody who blushes and perspires. I sweat when I get nervous. That's because my core body temperature is going up. My heart's beating faster. My, my blood vessels are tightening. It's like I'm exercising and I sweat when I exercise. So I hold something cold in the palms of my hand. You can actually cool your body down just like putting a cold compress on your forehead uh, through your palms. And on a, on a cold morning, I am sure, Ollie, you've held a warm cup of tea or coffee and felt that it warmed you up. We're just doing the same thing in reverse. So I hold something cold. And then the last thing I do, and this sounds really silly, is I say a tongue twister out loud. And what that does is two things for me. One, it warms up my voice. If you've ever done any sports or exercise, you know you should warm up before you do it. The same thing is true with communication. And the second thing it does is it helps me get very present-oriented. I am somebody who can get in my head and be worried about things. And when I say a tongue twister, it forces me to be in the present moment if I want to say it right. So that's what an anxiety management plan is. That's what my anxiety management plan is. And I encourage all of your listeners to come up with plans that work for them so that they can feel more comfortable and confident when they communicate. Yeah. I like that. It's kind of a stacking different techniques, isn't it? Some of which are kind of mental mindset, some of which are physiological and putting them together in, 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 a, in, a, in a familiar way. I found, um, I've tried various things over the years. Um, 
And I found the single most effective thing is the, I think you mentioned in your book, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, just repeating to myself, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. So I used, you know, it, I used to focus on the fact that I wasn't nervous. I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. But actually, I heard somebody say this, and it's been incredibly, it's amazing how it reframes it for me. You know, Sam, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. And I think it's doing, it's kind of tapping into what you mentioned about your, that m- mindset thing where, you know, this is an opportunity to share something for which I've prepared. You know, I'm, I'm someone who plans, 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 and does t- probably too much planning. Um, but actually when it comes to it, it's like the, the release, it's a bit like in flow state, you know, when you, you, you do the, you get in deep into the subject matter, you study deep, and it's actually only when you step away and, and have that release phase that you really kind of properly get into flow. And I think that's, that's my experience um, with with speaking. Actually, if you can reframe it with the excitement bit, and then try and go out and just clear your mind, um, then it's pretty effective. That plus the classic, which is nobody actually knows the material as well as you do, and nobody knows exactly what you've prepared. So if you happen to forget something, you're the only one who knows it. And that's the, that's my other little tip from uh, having done it a few times. I think that's a wonderful tip, and I'm glad that works for you. That's that's what you're talking about is based on uh, research done by my friend and a guest on my podcast. Her name's Allison Woods Brooks, who did that research to show that reframing anxiety as excitement can actually not only change your experience of it, but you actually end up performing better when you do the speaking. So I think that's lovely that that works for you, and for many people, that's a very very valuable technique. Mm. The other thing, just to go back to something you said. Um talked about reflection not just around speaking and communication just you know reflection has become a really important part of my life I think you know like many people who are very kind of committed and ambitious in their jobs I spent far too long just in the weeds and in you know kind of getting lost in the work and never really taking time to step back and reflect and I think actually now I'm forcing myself to do that just in life generally it just helps me get better perspective and make better decisions and I actually I referenced your colleague Sarah Steen Greenberg who in my book who who had a lovely quote on this she said the that reflection is the underappreciated partner of action and I just love that idea you know you you can take all the action you want but it's only when you properly reflect that your you know your brain can actually tap into its vast resources and also then you have clarity of thought and clarity of action uh Sarah's work is fascinating she is a friend and a colleague and her book is great and I love that quote as well reflection is really important that's where learning happens that's where change happens and when we don't reflect We fall victim to that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So uh, thank you for highlighting that. And thank you for sharing Sarah's good work. Yeah. Just returning to some some practical tips. Um, And again, I'm going to use myself as the case study here that I think because I'm so often so excited to share this knowledge that I've been building um, I think I sometimes share too much. I leave too many things on the table. I give the audience too many things to think about so how do you think about getting the right level of focus how could i improve the specificity of my presentations and talks well thank you i call this the f word of communication focus and focus is critical many of us especially when we're speaking in the moment we take our audience on the journey of our discovery of what it is we're saying as we're saying it and we end up saying too much We end up listing and delineating information, and it becomes overwhelming. Uh, My mother has this lovely quote that I try to live my life by. Your your listeners can decide if I'm doing a good job or not. 
but it's tell the time, don't build the clock. Many of us say much more than we need to say when we communicate. And that's because we're, we're doing a lot of work in the moment. And there are lots of ways to become better focused. One is the notion of structure. And I hope at some point we can talk a little bit more about structure. But having structure to your communication helps you be tighter. The other thing that helps is to really think about in this moment what's relevant for the person I'm talking to. If you can focus on what's relevant and salient, it helps you focus your communication um, because you start from there and build out. And then finally, having a goal. All communication, I believe, should be goal-driven. And to me, a goal has three parts, information, emotion, and action. What do I want the audience to know? How do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? The knowing is the information you want to get across. The feeling is how you want them to, to experience it. And then the action is what you want them to do. And if you focus your communication on that goal, it also helps you be more clear and concise. So having structure, thinking about what's relevant for the audience, and having a clear goal help you distill down and prioritize what you need to say so ultimately you're more focused. And of course, a lot of the conversation we've had so far, or perhaps what I've mentioned is very much about me. It's about how I'm feeling. But as you've said, you know, it's really about the audience, isn't it? And, you know, there are two parts, um, as I've kind of understood it from your book about communicating to an audience. And, you know, you kind of need to capture their attention. And that is one thing. But then you've got to keep it uh, as well. So how do you connect with an audience? You know, what are the what are the simple ways to ensure that you're both capturing and keeping their attention? Yeah, so uh, great question. And one that I wish more people would think about. And as you know, I believe that attention is our most precious commodity that we have in the world today. It is in high demand, and we are constantly being pulled away in different directions. So getting people's attentions, connecting to people, and then what's even more important is engaging them, so sustaining that attention. It's relatively easy to catch somebody's attention quickly, but keeping it is the challenge. So to my mind, there are three primary ways to engage somebody. One is physical, get people doing something. So if I'm a teacher, a presenter, a meeting facilitator, I get people doing something. I might have them raising their hands as I take a poll. I might have them turning to people to talk and, and communicate. I might have them, if we're virtual, typing into the chat, using a shared whiteboard, putting them in breakout rooms. Anything that gets people physically active, they could be watching a video at the same time. That gets people engaged and connected. Second is mental engagement, asking questions, using analogies, telling stories. Those are ways that literally light up the brain. We have MRI research, fMRI research that shows that when you tell a story versus giving a list, people's brains look different. You spin up more brain systems. When you use an analogy, people get more engaged. When you ask questions, it's much more active than passive. And then the final way to do it is through language. And I find these fascinating. There are lots of things we can do linguistically. For example, using somebody's name engages us. Using the word you. Many of us, when we get nervous, we distance ourselves through language. I, I was coaching a very senior leader at a, at a company called Atlassian. And he was on stage uh, practicing. And he said, knowledge workers should. And I stopped him. I said, who's in your audience? He said, knowledge workers. And I'm like, well, say you, right? And when you do that, people get more engaged. Similarly, using time-traveling language, what I call time-traveling language, taking people into the future by saying, imagine, or what if you could, or picture this, 
that engages people because you see it in your mind's eye. Similarly, I can take you into the past. I can say, remember when or think back to when. And then the last linguistic trick I'll tell you that can really engage people, I learned recently from Jonah Berger when he was on Think Fast, Talk Smart. That's my podcast. Um, he, he shared that if you can change verbs into nouns, people mm. get more engaged. So I can say uh, it's good to vote or I can say you should be a voter. And by yeah. using that noun, people get more engaged. So there are many tools to connect and engage, physical, mental, linguistic. And if you can use those, people will be more focused and pay more attention to what you're saying. So, Matt, you, you definitely hit on a few things there, which I can see even in the way I communicate. Let me take you back to when Steve Jobs did his legendary presentations, because I want to ask you one more question related to this subject before we go on to structure. It's another question related to my own experience. So, you know, physically um, engaging people, brilliant idea. I love that, getting them physically engaged. But of course, when we are speaking, we're also communicating with our actions, gesticulating and, and, and whatever else. Um, what's the right amount of movement from the individual speaking in this situation? Because I, as I said, you know, picture Steve Jobs on stage. He did this brilliant job of sort of seemingly naturally just stalking the stage, making everybody engaged exactly with what he was presenting articulating this vision of the future about what it could be but when it comes to it that's not me I'm a fidgety person I struggle to sit still I struggled to sit still in class when I was a kid and I certainly still struggle to do that now so I think I'm less Steve Jobs and uh, more of a fidgety kid what would you be your advice about the right amount of movement to ensure that you're bringing people into the conversation but not going over the top and distracting people from your message Yes. So movement is really important. Uh, how you use your physical space with your body, your gestures, your eye contact, that's critical. Uh, and in some cases, uh, that might even be more impactful than the words you say, especially if how you say it is congruent with what you're saying. So movement is good, but you don't want it to be distracting. The goal of nonverbal presence is to augment what you're saying without distracting from it. And that's, that's a tricky balance. And it's different for every person. For some people, movement and gesturing looks very natural. And for others, it looks a little stilted. So, so there's no one hard and set set of rules to follow. Here's my advice that I give to people. Three places that movement make a lot of sense. One is when you start. Many nervous people will retreat when they speak. They'll move back. They'll say, thanks for coming. I'm really excited to be here. They'll retreat, make themselves tight. Rather, when you start, take a step forward. Adjust your broadly. Say, I'm excited to be here. It demonstrates that. Stepping into what many of us feel threatening helps you look more confident. So take a step towards your audience. Even if you're in a conference room and you're standing, just step forward and touch the table. Here, when we're talking virtually, I can just lean in a little bit. The second place to do that approach of the audience is when you're answering questions. Many of us, when somebody asks us a question, we'll say, oh, you have a question? What's your question? And we step back because we feel threatened. Again, step forward, not in a threatening way. Just step forward and say, what questions do you have? So approached in the beginning, approach during questions. And then while you're speaking, if you're standing, moving during transitions makes a lot of sense. Stand-up comedians have a rule, never walk during the punchline because it distracts your audience. We might not be telling jokes, but we all have punchlines. A punchline is nothing more than something you build up to. It's a point you're supporting or building up to. So 
Make sure you're standing still when you make that final point. And then as you're transitioning from one point to the next, move across the stage. Not only is it a logical time to move content-wise, but it then allows you to connect with a different part of your audience. So movement is good. Approach to questions, approach to the beginning, and move during transitions in your content. And that seems to be the best for most people. Brilliant. Brilliant. So this is the time of year, of course, when people do reflect and um, perhaps set goals for, for the year ahead. Um, and I'm sure for people's work goals include improving their communication, improving their skills in presenting, and certainly um, ensuring that their voice is heard. And I think, um, you know, during meetings, it can be scary sometimes when people are put on the spot. That's the, often how people talk about it. We put on the spot. So I wonder whether we can get, get a bit practical here. You maybe give, give us an idea about some of the structure that we can use to ensure that rather than feel like we put on the spot, it's actually an opportunity to share some of the insights that we have, which can really add value. I love that you're putting, uh, you're using language that I, I use when I talk about this. Thank you. So many of us feel very nervous when we're put on the spot in the moment speaking, be it having to introduce ourselves, answer a question, give feedback, fix a faux pas. These are circumstances that are very challenging for many people. And there's a lot we can do. In the book, I I talk about a six-step methodology that I've been testing for almost a decade now on my Stanford MBA students uh, and now applying to the world at large. The first four of the steps are mindset related. The first, very first step is managing anxiety. And one of the subsequent steps is exactly what you brought up. It's, it's seeing it as an opportunity, not as a threat. Often we are asked to speak because people see something of value that we have to contribute. And in those circumstances, we need to uh, remind ourselves that we have that value. So seeing it as an opportunity. The, the final two steps of the six-step methodology are about what we actually say, the messaging. And, and the fifth step is about structure. So once we see it as an opportunity, we then can think about how do we package up our information to help us prioritize what to say and to help our audience hear it better. As I mentioned earlier, our brains are not wired for lists. In fact, I, I challenge you, Ollie. Let me ask you this question. How many items do you need to buy from the grocery store before you actually physically need to write them down. For me, it's anything beyond four I need to write down. I can't remember them. How about you? Well, there's a joke in our house that every single time I go to the supermarket, I have to call my wife as soon as I arrive to recap what we're supposed to get. So I think I suspect the the list is probably two or three. And any right, bill, there any- you go, right? Even even shorter than yeah. So we're not good at remembering lists, and so. How we need to, we shouldn't list information for our audience. They're not going to remember it. So, to me, a structure is nothing more than a logical connection of ideas. It's a way of packaging things up so it helps our audience remember, helps us prioritize. Uh, there are many, many structures out there. Uh, the one most people are familiar with is problem, solution, benefit. If you've ever seen an advertisement, if you've ever pitched or tried to persuade anybody, you've probably used this structure where you start by saying, here's a problem, issue, or challenge. Here's how I think we should solve it, and here's the benefit of doing so. The structure that works in the circumstances you're talking about, meeting contributions, conversations, there are many of these, but my favorite is three simple questions. What, so what, now what? What, so what, now what? What is the the idea you're talking about? It's your update, it's your feedback, it's your product, your service, whatever it is you're discussing. So what is, why is it relevant for the person you're talking to? 
And then now what is what comes next? Maybe it's, do you have any questions? Or let's sign up on the dotted line. Or let me show you a demonstration. So let me give you one example of how this might work. Imagine we're in a meeting and Ali, you say, Matt, how did that go? And I'm going to give you feedback. So I might say, I thought the meeting went splendidly, except when you talked about the implementation plan. You spoke very quickly and you didn't give a lot of detail. That's my what. When you speak quickly without a lot of detail, people might think you're nervous and not as prepared. That's my so what. Next time you talk about the implementation plan, please spend a little bit more time and add these two examples. That's my now what. So in that moment, when you ask for feedback, I all I have to do is think about what I want to put in that structure, and then I have the ability to do it. And it works for updates. It works for answering questions. So that structure can be really, really helpful for people communicating. I often use it post-event as well, as you described it there for the feedback, but even reflecting on things, for example, um, that I've enjoyed about my day or the things that I found challenging about my day. I'm a big journaler. I like to spend time. Oh, yeah. You know, both before things and after things. It helps me understand why I make decisions, but also just helps me understand why I feel the way I do about certain things. And I've used that idea to reflect on certain events in my life, both day to day and in a broader context. So I, I actually love that framework. And I read it back in your book. It reminded me quite how useful it is. I mean, it's the power of three, of course, again, isn't it? You know, the, it, as I suggested, I think that my brain capacity is limited to three things. And, and that's a great example of a framework using three. Absolutely. And, and what you said, I think, is wonderful for what you, you're doing to help you reflect. And I think all of us to build this skill for this particular structure is whenever you've heard something, when you've finished listening to Ollie's amazing podcasts, stop for a second and say, what did I just learn? How can I use it and what am I going to do next? So that's the asking yourself, what, so what, now what? After you listen to something, read something, experience something, it helps you internalize it and it helps you drill the structure so you get better at it. So I love that you're doing that to help you reflect, but it's also helping you get agile at using that structure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, you might think, somebody listening might think, well, if I start using these frameworks, that's useful. It gives me a bit of confidence in the moment. But perhaps, does it take away from me just expressing myself naturally? And authenticity is a word which is very often used nowadays. We're told to be our authentic selves. But it's difficult under stress, while also trying to put a cogent articulate argument together about something or express an informed opinion to also feel like we're genuinely reflecting our personality and getting across who we are, our, our authenticity. So what are your thoughts on that? How do, we, how do we find the balance and how do we become more authentic and be confident about uh, being more authentic in, in the workplace and in our lives? Yeah. So I believe authenticity is really important in communication and, and I really try to help people find their authentic voice. You know, first you you need to manage anxiety and feel comfortable and maybe confident in speaking so your true voice can come out. If, if you're nervous, that pulls you away from, from speaking confidently. So that's the first thing. Second, we need to not worry so much about leveraging structure. Structure actually helps your personality come out because it helps you feel comfortable knowing that what you're going to say will be received in a way that people can do something with it. So it's actually helping. I think structure is a boost to it. Now, if you are constantly using the same structure and calling it out, 
that can be very off-putting. So for example, if every time I go to suggest or persuade you, I say, well, the problem is this, and here's how we're going to solve it. Clearly that's disconnecting and, and sounds inauthentic. But if you're able to use those structures without calling attention to them, they actually help. I, I'll ask you, Ollie, and I'll ask all of your listeners to, to chime in. Uh, I have answered almost every single one of your questions in a, in a structure. Does it feel like I'm answering in a structure? I don't know. You could tell me, but there's absolutely a structure I'm using. I have a structure I teach in the book, and I have taught for years to my students and people I coach. It's answer the question, give an example, and explain the value or relevance. I call it ADD, adding value. Answer, detailed example, describe relevance. At least 80% of the questions you've asked me, I've answered in this structure. Most people will tell me they don't feel like I'm answering in a structure. Rather, they just feel I'm giving an answer that's memorable. So authenticity, I think, is catalyzed and enabled through structure as long as we don't call out to it. And then the third step of finding uh, your authentic voice is really reflecting on what's comfortable for you and what works. You know, I do many things that, I, that help me and work for me, but I wouldn't necessarily coach somebody else to do them. So it's, it's a very personal journey to find your authentic voice. It starts with managing anxiety. I firmly believe leveraging structure helps. And then ultimately figuring out what works best for you is the way to do it. So not only did I hope I answered the question, I did use ADD to answer that question yet again. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's, um, you know, we're talking with you. Of course, I've listened to your podcast, but having a conversation with you, I am not uh, left with a feeling that you are structuring your answers. I'm, I'm left more with a feeling that you're incredibly fluent with the way you speak. In fact, I'm envious. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming I'm even more conscious of babbling on uh, in some cases. And, uh, but it's great because it does show you that, look, I'm sure you weren't always able to articulately express your opinions in this way. And it shows that combining, as you suggested, your, you know, your authentic self, your voice with the structure is the, the route to being able to, to speak clearly and for the message to be heard. Well, I certainly don't mean to make anybody uncomfortable when I speak. And you are 100% right. I have had to work and develop this. And, and I appreciate the compliment. I still see myself as having a long way to go here. But like everybody, I encourage us to all continue to hone our skills and, and to practice them. Like any skill, you can get better at communication. You just have to put in the effort. Definitely. Well, uh, I appreciate all the uh, the thinking. I appreciate your work. And I, uh, I not only think we've got a lot more to talk about, but perhaps we should get more time in the diary at some point soon to, to discuss it in more depth. But, I um, would thoroughly enjoy that. Brilliant. Um, anything you want to leave us with before we call it a day? I'd love for people just to remember you can get better at communication. All of us can. It takes practice. It takes time. And it is well, well worth it. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about me, mattabrahams.com is a great place to go to find lots of free resources. Uh, just like Ollie's podcast is, is very helpful. I hope you find Think Fast, Talk Smart, uh, my podcast, helpful. It's all about communication, bite-sized episodes, about 20 minutes each. And then my new book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, is all about these topics we've discussed today, how to feel more comfortable and confident speaking in the moment. Fantastic. I will put links to all of those in the show notes. Matt, thanks again for joining me today. Thank you so much, Ollie, for your time and for the work you do. I appreciate it very much. So thank you to Matt. As I said at the end there, there are links to Matt's podcast, website, and his book in the show notes. 
You'll also find a link there to get in touch with me if you'd like me to speak with your team about these types of themes. Thanks for listening. Next week, I've got a really fascinating guest. It's Tyler Cowan, founder of the Marginal Revolution blog and all-round interesting chap. So I'll see you back here then.